0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today?
1: Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 92 Last week, we saw where the apostles were coming to Jesus after a big discourse that he had just gotten done with, and they were asking him, you know, help us increase our faith. Uh, and then he went on a couple series of parables. First, about the having the faith like a grain of a mustard seed and being able to say to mulberry trees, uproot them they will obey you. Um, And then he had another parable about a servant that's working for the master coming in from the field and then the assumption is the master's going to expect the servant to go straight into serving him meal and dinner and then the servant will be able to recline afterwards and getting the sense that, and man we had a very long discourse tension going on about duty versus reward in terms of the journey of faith and pursuing righteousness in your life. And, you know, you have the one side of it that Jesus was saying, it's not, the importance shouldn't be on how much faith that you have, rather, what can you do with the measure of faith that you have right now? And opening our vision to see that we can do so much more, even if our faith is small compared to trying to quantify it. Um, And then at the same time, that humbling reminder that the primary motivation shouldn't be the reward. It should be showcasing God's characteristics on earth because that's our duty. That's what we're called to. And the reward comes secondary to that. Um, Very difficult, challenging topic. And we ended off moving into another section where Jesus is in um, Bethany, uh, I think, And Lazarus has fallen ill and Mary and Martha was coming to him wanting to, for him to intercede and do something. And he said that the glory of God is about to be revealed uh, for whatever is happening to Lazarus coming
0: up. Yeah. And now just for clarity, Jesus wasn't in Bethany yet. He was off kind of trying to be alone and quiet and stay out of trouble. So they sent word to him to come to Bethany. So gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and and Lazarus is ill and you know all that. And then oh there was a, what what Jesus say, this illness doesn't lead to death, but instead it's for the glory of God. We talked about how he said similar things before, but now we don't know the rest of the story. That's where we're picking up today. If you're ready. Oh yeah. All right, we're in the book of John, chapter 11. Verses 5 through 10. I'm sorry. You know what? We're going to do a shorter, shorter bit. Let's do verses 5 through 6. <laughs> All right. It says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her s- sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> okay. So on one hand, John, he wants to try to bring a little clarification. Because remember, we were questioning about who loved who and whatever was up there. So John's like, you know what? Jesus loves them all. He loves Martha. He loves Mary. He loves Lazarus. They're all special to him. So, okay, that's good. We got that. But then when he hears that Lazarus is ill, we can, okay, we might think that we could easily guess what Jesus' response is going to be. We would think he stops whatever he's doing, he immediately goes to him, except that Samuel, as many around our neck of the woods might say, oh, no, he don't. (laughs) He ain't going to go. Instead, I mean, and this is so weird that John writes this. He loved him so much, he stayed an extra couple of days where he was. And John writes that as if it makes perfect sense. Jesus loved them, so when he heard he was ill, he stayed over an extra couple days before going to see him. It's just weird, but it's setting up the story, right? We know, we know what's happening here. Any comments or questions on that, Samuel? Seems like there shouldn't be, but whatever. Yeah. You good? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go now to the next part. We're still in John chapter 11. Now we can read verses 7 through 10. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Clear as mud, Samuel?
1: (laughs) Muddy mess.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So, all right. So, a couple days have passed, and Jesus tells his little crew there that they're going back to Judea. Now, remember we just talked about this, eh? John's gospel had just told us that they were across the Jordan, kind of where John the Baptist had been when he was baptizing at the first. So the disciples aren't liking the sound of this, and they remind Jesus, hey, remember there are Jews who are seeking to stone you, and it wasn't that long ago, right? They they even question him. Do you really want to go there again? You really want to go now. And so Jesus answers, except, I don't know, it seems kind of cryptic. You would think the answer would be something more along the lines of, why, yes, I do. Or, gee, no, thanks for bringing that up. Maybe we should just stay. But no, instead, he does this whole thing about 12 hours in the day and walking and not stumbling, whatever. Okay, so I guess, let's talk about some of the basic concepts. Maybe some of the basic stuff isn't too bad. Samuel, day versus night, or light versus darkness. What do we usually think about day and light, just in the simple, general sense? What are day and light? They are... I mean, those are good things
1: for our reality.
0: Yeah, good. We think of that as good. Uh, We might even think of it as like, I don't know, associated with God or something because he's the light of the world, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, night and dark, we relate to evil, you know, the opposite of good or, or maybe like the absence of God or, you know, things like that. But what does Jesus mean here? Well, on one hand, we might just kind of imagine Jesus as being very in tune with God. And so, therefore, he's making this decision, you know, in the light. He is in the bright light of day. So that's like saying he knows what he's doing because he's just kind of following God. Well, that's one possibility. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we might also relate this to an earlier statement that Jesus made. This was also in the Gospel of John. Shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Samuel, why don't you even read it out loud? John chapter 9, verse 4.
1: We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work.
0: Yeah. Now, we've already talked about that. You could always kind of go back a few episodes in the podcast and see what we talked about there. But so so we can kind of see that, I don't know, there's, a, there's sort of a... This is the mission. We don't have time for these threats or bothers or, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, that's the kind of vibe that we see going on here. There's some sort of urgency to doing God's will while there is still time. And now, actually, Samuel, I'd like you to back up just one more verse. Read John chapter 9, verse 3.
1: Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him.
0: Whoa, now wait a second. What did he just say up in verse number 4? John eleven four.
1: 11, uh, with Like with Lazarus' illness?
0: Yeah, the, the last half. It is for... Oh,
1: yeah, it's for the
0: glory of God, that, that
1: the Son of God might be glorified through it.
0: Yeah, doesn't that sound an awful lot like that the works of God might be displayed in him, mm-hmm. and he now he starts talking about him who sent me, or, or, you know, we have to work while it's day, and right? So, it's got this weird connection back to John chapter 9, the same sort of thinking, the same sort of uh, attitude or vibe that's going on here. So, that's kind of interesting, but... For, for even for all of that, what's, what's really going on? Well, it kind of seems like Jesus is saying this because he wants to calm the disciples' fears. And as we read on, it seems, this is kind of funny, it seems as though d- the disciples don't even know about what's going on with Lazarus yet. So first, he chooses to let them know that they are walking in the light that they're not in danger of stumbling. And I guess maybe what we could say in relating it back to John 9 is, we are still in that 12 hours of daylight that was available in this, you know, day of the Son of Man. There was still light, but they had to work, you know, while it was day. Night was coming when no one could work, but well, it's still day. Of course, we talked about that. The, the night would come at, you know, supposedly the death, resurrection, etc. Although that also was kind of weird. But anyway, we're not going to rehash that. You can go back and listen to that episode. Uh, so anyway, that's where we are in the story so far. I'm breaking it up into pieces so it doesn't get too overwhelming. Any comments or questions there, Samuel?
1: Um, maybe some contextual questions, and it may just be my brain not working for this episode. But um, so. little Back in chapter 11, verse 6, when it says he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, were you saying that that was with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, or that was the place that he was at prior to going to Lazarus?
0: Yeah, it was prior to going to see Lazarus. So he was out in, where did we say that was? Was it like Perea or someplace place? Let's see. It was across the Jordan where John mm-hmm. the Baptist had been baptizing at first, so he remained a couple days there.
1: Okay. So yep. that that leads to 11 verse 7 when he says, let us go to Judea again. That general phrase of going to Judea is going in the direction to where Lazarus is at,
0: right? Yes. Bethany is okay. just a mile or two outside of Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah. This Bethany. Cool. there's more than one you know why why not create confusion
1: right maybe the listeners got that without a problem but i was struggling in the moment just to keep track of their travels like where they started versus where they're going but i think hopefully these questions will help because verse 11 kind of segues into those questions with what jesus is about to say
0: okay yeah so good yeah, and you know what? I'm glad you brought up those questions because you never know. I mean, I get in my head, you know, everybody does this. You you sort of, you, you get in your head and you, you know what you know and you think you remember what we've talked about or this or that or whatever. And sometimes uh, you can just leave people lost. They're not seeing what's going on inside my head. So, you know, maybe you did help some people out. Let's hope so. All right, so the next bit We're continuing in John chapter 11. Now we're going to read verses 11 through 16. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Oh, that, John. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Okay, so let's start walking our way through. Number one, let's keep this in mind. Jesus had just given them... I don't know. You might think of it as like some sort of spiritual or philosophical, or maybe it's a metaphorical reason for going. We have it, it's it's light. It's still day. There were twelve hours. We're not out of sun, sunlight yet. So let's keep going. And and now he moves on and he gives them the more practical reason. Their friend, which I guess kind of interesting. It's not just Jesus's friend. He calls him our friend. Lazarus has fallen asleep and Jesus must awaken him. Now, Samuel, have you ever heard of anyone talk about someone who's died being referred to as he sleeps or he he's he's gone he's fallen asleep or you know something like that using sleep as a metaphor for death?
1: Yeah, I feel like the apostle Paul and his letters, and later in the New Testament, he uses that phrase a whole lot. Yeah. What do we do with pets? We put them to sleep.
0: Yeah. So, super common metaphor for us, and guess what? It was the same for them. It's... Unlike, <laughs> on, on like, just on the surface, just the plain, literal sense, it doesn't make any sense that they don't know what he's talking about. This John, he's just a strange writer. So, anyway, super common metaphor... It isn't a great stretch to think they should have understood his meaning, and and we don't know this. We maybe assumed that they also knew that he was sick. But then again, Jesus specifically said that he would not die. Or did he? What exactly was the phrase he used? He said, this illness does not lead to death. But still, if you were there, if 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 you didn't know he was sick, none of this would make any sense. If you did know he was sick, you would have heard Jesus say, it's not going to lead to death, and so you're even more confused. But they didn't understand. And and I don't know, Samuel, you tell me what you think. I kind of feel like the disciples got a little snarky. I mean, hmm. if we could exaggerate what they were saying just a little bit, it might, some, might come out something like... Lord, uh, though Lazarus has been overcome by this great malady called sleep, history and experience tells us he's going to be okay, (laughs) right? Now, okay, again, I'm exaggerating, but it's like, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Mm. Would you say something like that to Jesus? Uh, More than likely not. Yeah, it seems a little weird, right? Now, maybe I'm just over-reading, you know, kind of infusing them with attitudes that really aren't there. But, I mean, at the very least, you got to admit, maybe there's like a hint of teasing or something. Maybe that's just like, you know, joking around kind of language. I don't know. But it's it's weird to see this interaction. But anyway, after they say that, I'm going to modernize this and say that Jesus gives them the emotionless emoji face— And he tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. But again, Samuel, what did it say? What did did Jesus say about this sickness? It does not lead to death. Yeah. What's going on here? So Jesus adds that he's glad that he was with them, meaning the disciples, and not with Lazarus. Why? So that they might believe. (laughs) Wait, <laughs> Samuel, they don't believe yet? I mean, wh- what? <laughs> Thought they did. Yeah, isn't this weird? John, I don't know. He's just a strange writer. So of course they believe. So then you got to figure, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe in some way they could believe, uh, what's a word, more? Or maybe they could believe for something more or maybe they can believe something that they could not even imagine would be i don't know i don't know but but jesus says it's so they might believe now if belief could be measured i don't know maybe it can well then in some way their belief is going to increase sounds like a good thing but again John's just throwing all this stuff in there, all kind of mixed up together, don't exactly know what he means. And so maybe, I don't know, just maybe, this specific belief he's referring to is something like what we saw back in John chapter 8, verse 51. And Samuel, I marked just a, a portion of that, if you could read that. If anyone keeps my word, he will never
1: see death.
0: Okay, so maybe... This is, you know, trying to help them understand, see, you can actually believe what it was I said about that right there. Or, I mean, we're going to have to look ahead a little bit, but it's coming up. We also might look at uh, what he's going to say to Martha coming up in uh, just in verses 25 and 26, coming up in John 11. Uh, Why don't you read that little snippet, Samuel?
1: He who believes in me will live even if he dies.
0: Yeah. And so, maybe they're going to be able to believe that for themselves, right? So, we don't exactly know, but I mean, Jesus has got to have a point here somewhere, and John has to have a point by telling us whatever he's telling It's Anyway, as if, you know, this whole little situation was actually up for some sort of debate, which it wasn't, Jesus compl- concludes with, I don't know if you want to call it a command or an invitation or whatever, but basically just says, you know what? Let us go to him. Let's do this thing. Now, here's something amazing, Samuel. Thomas speaks. What do we know about Thomas? What is his famous name? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. We don't hear from him very often. And oddly enough, right here in this moment, he shows some passion, some excitement, something, and and. He kind of makes, uh, well, I don't know. I think that his actions here are a little bit surprising or, or maybe even ironic considering that he, he's most known for being doubting Thomas in the end. He is suggesting being faithful to their master, Jesus, even unto death. And just to make it clear, because I know that Occasionally, if, if you're reading something quickly, you kind of forget who the pronouns are referring to. Just for clarity, he's referring to joining Jesus in death from stoning, not joining Lazarus in death, just in case anybody's confused by that. And more than a few have gotten a little tripped up because of the way the text flows, but it's just, you know, just to say it out loud, it's referring back to verse 8. Let us also go that we may die with him because he was, they were afraid he was going to be stoned. That all kind of makes sense, Samuel?
1: I think so, yeah. Um, and is there any, this is a little bit aside from the main point with Thomas, but um, I don't know if he mentioned or not. In the beginning of verse 16, it says he's called the twin. Was he, did he have a, an actual twin? Do you know what the significance is behind that phrasing of him?
0: Well, we don't know for certain, as far as I know, uh, but I remember, uh, boy, I don't know what episode this was, so you'll just have to go back and listen to them all, <laughs> but we talked about each of the disciples. We sort of reviewed who the 12 were and what we knew about them or whatever, and at that point, uh, I, th- I don't remember everything that we said, but I, I remember there was speculation, that he actually looked like Jesus. Now, Hmm. other speculation said, no, he just looked like one of the other disciples, not Jesus himself, but some thought, nope, he actually looked like Jesus. Whatever the point was, and whoever they were talking about, he looked like someone in their group, and so you have to assume it was probably one of the big boys like Jesus himself, or maybe Peter or... John or you know something mm-hmm. like that but yeah it's all speculation but anyway gotcha. yeah there was that was
1: interesting nonetheless
0: it is it is yeah anything else uh let's see what's next okay yeah this is this is getting good uh so uh let's see we're still in John 11 we're going to read verses 17 to 19 now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Okay, so you can, you can picture this story in your head. Jesus and the disciples, they arrive in Bethany, which is really close to Jerusalem. They're probably a little nervous. And then they find out that Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, this is significant because there is this, and you could call it a story or an understanding or a tradition or a myth or whatever it was in first century Judaism, but their understanding was that a man's spirit would hang around for a maximum of three days after you died, just in case you revived. Just in case you woke up. Now, I don't think we're supposed to take that too literally or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. It's it's just a way of expressing, look, there's dead and then there's like dead, dead. And so maybe we could even call it mostly dead versus <laughs> dead well
1: it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead please open his mouth
0: but the point is after three days there was zero hope that anyone could ever 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 be revived because you're already decomposing so uh now now the point is that this story and the four days are relating you know, this very significant fact that he wasn't just mostly dead, but he was like dead, dead, completely dead, unrecoverable, unrevivable, dead. And then John reminds us that they're in Bethany. It's only a couple miles from Jerusalem. And on on one hand, this represents real danger. Jews who want to stone him are nearby. And on the other hand, It helps us get the mental image that there would likely be many people joining into the morning, you know, just because they're near a high population center. Now, in fact, many Jews that are here joining in the morning are from Jerusalem. And so, I don't know, us as the reader, I guess we're hopeful that they're not any of the ones who actually want to stone Jesus, uh, mm. but we don't know that. Uh, but again, this is going to play into the story, so we understand how there could be, you know, something crowd-like coming up. Uh, I've even heard, I read some stories, and we may talk about this more in, in the study. I'm not sure. There are, there's reason to suspect that Lazarus may have been a fairly prominent man. And so that also adds to the man. There are just a lot of people showing up, you know, for the morning. But anyway, any any questions there?
1: Uh, Not any questions other than this. That detail that you pointed out here about the amount of people being present with this situation going down with Lazarus. It might be similar to. The story when Jesus, um, the father, comes to Jesus saying that his was it his daughter that had fallen ill, and whenever they got to the house, oh yeah, had already died, and there were people outside wailing and mourning, and we had talked about the detail that, like in Jewish culture in Judaism, um, you had in some ways professional mourners that would come and assist the family in creating a space for you to healthily practice your grief. And so it might have been present here with Lazarus as well.
0: Yeah, very, very true. Yeah, and and just to further your uh, reminder, it sounds so weird to us, but rather than thinking of it as, you know, just like acting or some sort of, you know, weirdness, goofiness, it actually was assisting in really getting the grieving process rolling, right? Cuz it's good for us to to grieve, and get that over with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good call, Samuel. Good good memory. All right. Well then, let's keep going. Still in chapter 11. We're going to read verses 20 through 27, all right? Now we got a big part of the story. Here we go. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Okay, now this isn't quite so confusing and weird. So what do we got going on here, Samuel? Finally getting into the, the meat of the story. Martha hears that Jesus is finally on his way, and she goes to him. In fact, she meets him, before he even gets to their village. And then John adds that Mary doesn't go. And, you know, it's, it's a time of mourning, etc. We might imagine, uh, I don't know, any number of reasons that she does not go. But, and we're going to read a little bit later, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't appear as though Mary actually got the information that Jesus was there only Martha did. And and, and maybe Martha didn't tell her, at least not yet. And again, there, there may be many reasons for this, and I could just be plain wrong. Maybe she turned around and told her and Mary was like, hey, I ain't moving. I'm, you know, crying or whatever. I don't know. But you have to wonder, did Martha want some alone time with Jesus? Because she knew that if Mary was there, she probably wasn't going to get much time with him at all. And all I can say to that is maybe, but it does seem possible. Some, I would bet, would put their money on, yeah, that's probably what she was doing. But who knows? Now, Martha— It could be be just really
1: quickly that Martha was practicing repentance from the last encounter that we had with her and Mary, that (laughs) she kind of dropped the ball when— Jesus was visiting them and she learned her lesson is like, I'm not going to waste another opportunity with this master again. And like, that's why, you know, it it kind of feels like a redemption story almost for her character in this in this story.
0: And that's a great point. That's a great point. We're actually going to talk about that a little more in, in a few minutes. So that's good. That's good. So what we do know, and again, you know, a couple of these other things we're just trying to figure out, okay, who's, what's going on? Why is who, who act in what way, whatever? Well, what we do know is that Martha does take advantage of her time with Jesus. And what's cool about it is that she displays great faith and great understanding and great boldness. And so she voices her regret that he was not there sooner, that Jesus didn't come sooner. She'd heard the stories about him, you know, healing others or raising others from the dead. She'd heard the stories and she believed. Well, I'm sorry, that's kind of jumping ahead, isn't it? She'd heard the stories about him healing other people, not necessarily raising them from the dead. She'd and, and mm-hmm. so her first th- her first thought is if he had been here sooner he could have healed lazarus but she believed for even more than that or she hoped for even more than that and and she'd heard other stories and maybe now's when i should say she'd probably heard the stories about him raising others from the dead but her thing is god would do anything for you and you never know she may have had in mind Uh, That widow's son that Jesus had brought back to life, that's one of them, right? You mentioned uh, the other one with the daughter. But listen to how weird this is, Samuel. She shows this great faith, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It almost sounds like she thinks he could raise him from the dead. But then when Jesus says, hey, he's going to rise again, well, then she like, I don't know, it's like she takes a detour. Yeah, you know, I know that he'll rise up in the last day. It's very strange. So anyway, you might think that this was really, really good news, but somehow Martha, I don't know, it's like she understood him differently or maybe what we think we hear her saying she wasn't really saying. I don't know. She thought Jesus was referring to, you know, the resurrection, like the big thing at the end. And though that is some good news, it wasn't exactly... I'm sure, what she had in mind because she just lost her brother. So, I don't know. She may have been feeling a little disappointed and yet still she shows faith in like the big story. And I think it's just so important to point out we now see that Martha, she wasn't just busy working all the time. She obviously had been listening Two. She didn't act like Mary did, just sitting at his feet, but she was an eager student all the same. And I just think it's important that we see that. This is like lessons learned in hindsight. We, We would never know this about Martha from the first story, but now we see her and it's like, oh, maybe some of that stuff did get through. So anyway, Jesus presses the whole thing a little bit further, and this is kind of cool. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. She had just said, oh, I know, you know, he'll rise again in the resurrection. But Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection. I am life, regardless of time. In the future, yeah, but... Now, also, which we'll get to see. Martha believes in the coming resurrection, but does she believe that Jesus is the one that is actually going to make that happen? Or that it will only happen through him? That he is the actual power or source behind it? And I would just like to say, she knocks it out of the park. I mean, She may as well have been standing at home plate, plate, pointing to the center field flag before she hit that one. Samuel, (laughs) do you know what I'm referring to there? Uh, That's Babe Ruth, right? Babe Ruth, yeah! I wasn't sure if I'd get you with that one or not. So, yeah, she knocks it out of the park with, You are the Christ. And you know what? I don't know everybody's life history, but if you've ever been in churches, you have probably heard countless sermons where Martha is basically treated poorly. Mm -hmm. And reading this, we need to give her a little bit of respect. Just remember how we've done that with Peter? People always make fun of Peter, but he's pretty stinking awesome. You know what? Mm -hmm. Martha, yeah. We can find things to kind of bust her chops a little bit, but, you know, you need to come back around and realize who she is in the whole story. She deserves a little respect. Yeah. Now, just to kind of say it out loud, uh, I don't know how well we have done in keeping track of the, uh, the I am statements in John. I think we started out really well, and then I'm not sure if it's just been a while since he said one, or we forgot to mention him, but uh, so far we've seen I am he, meaning I am the Messiah, I am the bread of life, before Abraham was, I am, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, and now I am the resurrection and the life. So there you go. Just wanted to mm-hmm. mention those while we were here.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you gave space to for us to give some props, kudos to Martha, because in some ways by this point in the story, I mean, don't want to assume too much, but if if we're treating what she was displaying here as if she has learned some things about her response when in the presence of someone of great wisdom in the Torah and God and life like Jesus was um, in addition to like you would think that she would maintain the characteristics that she had previously of being a radical servant displaying high levels of hospitality that God prioritizes has shown all the way back in the Torah that mm-hmm. I don't I mean in some ways it's like you got the perfect mis- mix of both in Martha yeah like by this point in the story, not not to take away from Mary at all, but it's just like maybe we should start this new narrative, you know, within the quote unquote church to be like actually, maybe we should be more like Martha, like by the end of her story because she was like the hands and feet of God yeah. and she was a disciple and following and learning too, yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think you know. Obviously, they're both good examples in their own way. It's just, you know, my goodness, give Martha a, a little bit of love, too. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Anything else? And it,
1: yeah. Um, I don't—I'm not saying this to, I guess, get an answer to the question. Maybe I'm just posing these thoughts before we go into the next section because they're all kind of swirling around. Um, so, like— At the very beginning, when we were in verse 4, Jesus was saying, we talked about it before, the illness doesn't lead to death, it's for the glory of God. And then that very interesting detail about he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus a lot, and when he heard that he was ill, he stayed longer. Um, And then the next section, uh, he's like, this is, to the disciples, like, this is going to be done so that you may believe. And so they're just part of me is wondering as we're getting to the big reveal like did jesus have an intentional hand in any of this like did, did he foreknow that it would be better for lazarus to die rather than coming immediately to his aid um it's just uh, things that i'm thinking about as we're moving forward because the text is dropping little hints that right jesus wanted things to go a certain way rather than you know it being like an ambulance like coming right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're totally right, and I think that's exactly what John's doing, and if we keep reading, etc., cetera, it, we're going to see it. Yeah, but I think it's totally uh, intentional for us to see. Yeah. All right, well, let's do this next bit. Still in chapter 11, we're going to read verses 28 to 31. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So, Martha gets the little bit of alone time she wanted, or at least we're kind of assuming that in the story. And then she goes all the way back to their house to get Mary. And she doesn't even use his name. She, she only refers to him as the teacher. But as soon as Mary knows Jesus is nearby or on his way or whatever, she also goes out to meet him now we're, we're going to see later that Martha came back too, so in a way, it's like Martha goes out to see Jesus back to the house, out to see Jesus, right <laughs> so she's she's doing some walking right here. She probably did five thousand steps that day, right so uh side note, just notice the the little difference because you were talking about you know Mary and Martha. Uh, Martha went Mary rose quickly and went. So, John, I think, wants us to see Mary still has that, just that little something extra for the teacher,
1: right? Uh, I don't know. I think he was partial to Mary. I'm,
0: well, I'm team, that could I'm be true. Martha. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could be right. It could be that John was partial to Mary. Yeah, it's, a, it's it's an interesting point. So, Martha goes, she speaks to Mary in private, and then all of the Jews who were at the house they know nothing about Jesus's imminent arrival. They were there as part of, you know, the cultural mourning process. Now, just uh, a little more interesting information. Even modern Judaism has continued the tradition. You, you may even have heard this, pra- this phrase, uh, sitting Shiva, right? It's a, it's a seven-day period following burial. Now, in Jesus' day, the first few days, call it three days, were pretty intense. And, as you mentioned before, Samuel, they may even have included professional mourners. But then, things, you know, calmed down a bit, and and uh, but it's still a time of mourning. Like, furnishings in the home are overturned, so you can't—there's no place to sit— you have to sit on the floor uh, the mourners uh, they didn't even bathe during this time they didn't study they didn't work uh, anything i mean it was it was a i don't know kind of sort of almost like a weird form of sabbath i mean not really nobody's ever like called it that but i'm just saying they didn't do anything and the visitors Uh, weren't expected to be sharing, you know, words of wisdom and comfort and all that stuff that we try to do in America, right? Uh, In fact, it was maybe even a little more like, you know, you really just shouldn't talk unless you're spoken to. You come in, be present, but just, you know, shh, just don't say anything. Being present is enough. Chatty Kathy wouldn't be appreciated right? Listening is preferred to over talking. So there there may have been some, I don't know, joining in with like the crying and, you know, those kinds of things. And you probably had some who were present, maybe not even so much to, to participate in the mourning, but to actually take care of the mourners with food and drink and, you know, listening or whatever it might be. And then it could also be like we see exactly in this story right here. It could be that they stay with them wherever they go. So if they're going to run off to the grave or to the tomb, they're going to follow them just to be with them. They they just they stay with them because being there is better than not being there. So anyway, kind of get that picture in your head. And now thinking about the interaction between Jesus and Martha and Mary, and and you know the fact that Jesus is is outside the village all together, you kind of get the idea that there's, I don't know, some sense of secrecy about this whole thing. Now, maybe it's as simple as, hey, remember Jesus, he was under threat of stoning. Or, I don't know, it could be anything else. But whatever the reasoning, didn't really matter, not to Mary anyway, she flew out of the house and inadvertently brought everyone with her. And this, I think, is a great example, and I don't mean this as a cut-down. I think it's a great example of thinking with your heart and not your head. And then, I mean, come on. Can you blame her? Hmm. Samuel, as I was literally studying this and writing my notes, I had this, this uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like, aha moment. I think that Mary and Martha may have actually been the original inspiration for Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. Mm. What do you think of that? Uh, Mama Kim and Hannah Banana would be very proud of you right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martha would be Sense, and Mary would be Sensibility. Hmm. And and those terms aren't exactly the way we do use them in modern English. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. That's still cool. Comments or questions on this little bit...
1: Yeah, uh, this concept of sitting Shiva, I mean, you you mentioned it's practiced currently in modern Judaism, but we see it in the text, like in the biblical text, like arguably, like scholars argue that Job is one of the oldest written books in the Hebrew Bible, um, and we see that, so... The section where it's mentioned is Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. I'm just going to read a couple little snippets because it, it says exactly what you just described, uh, what would have been happening in the home of Mary and Martha. So Job <laughs> yeah. two eleven, uh, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him... They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. I'll just read this isn't very long. Verse twelve. When they saw him from a distance they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Verse thirteen's the key. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So right there is the origins of sitting Shiva.
0: That's it. Yeah. And that, oh boy, that is a great picture. And, you know, the the only reason I felt like it was worth talking about, you know, in this section right here while we're studying is because I don't know about you, and everybody's different, so maybe this stuff doesn't bother you at all. But when I have someone who is in any way close to me, that has died. And, you know, you want to go to, like, down here where we are, they have not just funerals, but they also have viewings, that kind of stuff. But people go, and it's it's customary that, you know, you kind of greet the people who are mourning, and, you know, you you say something <laughs> encouraging or hopeful or loving or i mean i don't know you everybody does something different but it's almost like you feel like you have to be able to say something something that's going to be comforting or something and it's so funny because it is the exact opposite of what they do here Mm -hmm. and honestly I really appreciate what they did, what they do in Judaism, because it would be so much easier to just show up and just, you know what? I am just going to sit here, and I don't have to think of anything awesome to say. I don't have to worry that something might pop out of my mouth that actually makes it worse. So I don't know. It's just a neat image to get in your head and just recognize. Again, we are reading, we are talking about This is a different time. At a different place and a different culture, and it's important to read with that in mind.
1: yeah, and it, it's good that you brought it up too because it again, this is another example of the weight that Jesus's presence brought to his culture. we We've seen this previously in that story where there was a funeral procession happening outside. People were traveling with the body, and we had talked about how. It was customary, it was um, respectful in Jewish culture that whenever you have a funeral procession going by, you stop and you let them pass. I mean, it happens now in our culture here in the West. Like, whenever there's a a parade of funeral cars, you stop in the middle of traffic and let them go by. But the only exception was, like, if a king was out in public, the king took precedence. And so um, we saw that with Jesus, and then here... I mean the the seriousness in which sitting Shiva has associated with it for the like the reader of the gospel listener that was being delivered orally it would have been shocking to hear this story because like wait all these people are stone faced they're solemn they're trying to be present with this people uh, this family someone just died and then all of a sudden you have this woman rushing out of the house and then it's just like a magnet and everybody else floods out with her like it would have just it would have felt like pandemonium like i I don't know (laughs) that's the picture i'm getting in my head
0: yeah yeah it is it's funny and side note uh remember that there were certain times and places when not only did you have to get out of the way of the funeral procession but then you were to join in oh yeah i (laughs) forgot yep (laughs) (laughs) crazy nobody in modern america could do that because we're all too busy but yeah that's funny well uh samuel we are not going to do the next section because it's too much so we aren't going to get to the big ending of the story (laughs) but hey Hey, enjoy your cliffhanger
1: that's right we're that's that should
0: be our subheading for okie dokie most yeah yeah but anyway, uh, unless you have something else, Samuel, I think that we are done. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at wwwokie mostcom And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.